to think we, we were alike. I mean, we were similar. We had something together, like this. You know what I mean? We thought alike, we felt the same way. But you, fuck you. So as we are recording this episode, I just stopped talking from uh, like trainings and teachings that I had to do. I started yeah. at four o'clock, four o'clock all the way through until we started recording just now. <laughs> so we're talking five and a half hours of straight yeah, talking before I have to talk more. That is a waking nightmare. Yeah, here's so here's the best part about that. So like where I one of the places I teach at, I teach a live lecture. Uh, and nobody else is on camera and nobody else is on microphone. The only way that I know that students are there is they type in a chat. Yeah, that's what, I mean, that's basically what we're doing right now in, in regular, regular people school. It's horrific. I know. It's just like, why, what is the, I mean, every, it's like everybody is just looking away in separate directions. It's just like, nope, nope, th this is fine. This will be totally fine. It's useful, and people are getting something out of it. It's like, you no, know, they're not. The best thing I saw, though, about that was there was a guy in a meeting, and he had his friend come in and pretend to murder him in a meeting and get out of the <laughs> meeting. Like somebody ran in in a scream mask and stabbed him on camera in front of an entire <laughs> meeting, and then he was gone for the rest of the meeting. What a prince, a hero for for these <laughs> horrible times. That is so funny. I mean, I, I think back. I think back to some of the jobs I had that I didn't care about, where yeah. I totally would have done something like that given the chance. I mean, when I there when I worked at uh, Wachovia, we would have a morning huddle. <laughs> every time Ugh. and when they would say huddle i just you know audibly Ugh! but i used to take my tie and i would tie it in a bow and they would hand me like the handout <laughs> and i'd chew on it you know and i did one meeting where i just talked like daniel plainview the whole time <laughs> <laughs> and it was always like mike why are you in the at the bottom of the board as far as sales go and i'm like well i'm an oil man i was i, I, I don't know <laughs> <laughs> dude i not too long ago i was dropping riley off at work and she my mom was having like their morning huddle where they go over like the specials and stuff and so i walked in as she was finishing up i was like okay you're all fucking fired <laughs> like and a bunch of people that i don't know i was like you're fired you need to tighten up and this guy was like i just got this apron yesterday i was like it doesn't matter you give it back today you're gone <laughs> So, and then, and then like, you know, some and people knew who I was, but like, it was a bunch of like, the best part was like, some of the servers were like, I don't know. One of them was my cousin that I grew up with. Another one was like the owner's kids. So they like, I can't fire them because literally they own the business. So <laughs> they thought it was like a, a really horrible undercover boss episode. <laughs> yeah. Like who is this Yeti? Is this the guy that owns the <laughs> The fucking well, restaurant. But I think that's the problem is I think when I said it, I, it just sounded to them like I was going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was rough. It was. But uh, so now nobody works at Ain't Catfish because everybody's fired. Yeah, it's just a bunch of steam tables with food just rotten in it. Yeah. And then just a, a, a chef in the back going, can I stop? Because <laughs> he just keeps cooking food and nobody's there to eat it or serve it. Dude, I, I'm telling you though, this this new landscape of like 
school on Zoom. So we got to do the regular class, right? Uh-huh. And then they're like, well, just point the camera at you. <laughs> and everyone, Everyone's just like, oh, yeah, this is going to go great. Right. So... Because, you know, as you teach online, so you, you understand what it takes to put a lesson together or a curriculum together or something. I minored in instructional design. So, like, I have an instructional design degree. Well, see, that blows my mind because I, because <laughs> it's funny because teachers who who put things together every day don't have any sort of a degree like that. No, they should. It's I, I know. They, they, they need to. I know uh, we should, but uh, none of that is required. Nope. <clears throat> but, you know, you have to, if you're doing a lesson in person versus making something available to people online, there's a, a, a process of transforming the material, right? Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I just, I don't understand because we got, we got people at my school who are straight up in their 60s and don't even have their own laptop, you know, to, to work on. So right. I don't even know what they're doing. They're just setting their portables on fire. We were having teachers just walk out. There's a dude that walked out on first on the first day. He showed up, took his stuff out of his room, and walked out. That's awesome. I was just like, I've walked out of some jobs, you know? But I never walked out of a career you know, where people depended on me. Like, when I walked out of a job, it was just like, fuck this. And they're like, nobody's going to care that I'm gone. Right. But, you got chased down the street with the, the lady who thought she still had your license. Or you had yeah. her license. <clears throat> I didn't even walk out that time. But, I mean, I definitely, when I worked at Journeys and uh, just after high school, I quit twice and they hired me back twice because I was so goddamn good in that stock room. But I, <laughs> but I did walk out. Yeah. I just don't get it, man. It's just, you know, my whole thing is I'm just like, hey, everything is melting. It's fine. Just it's it's like that little meme with the dog, the fire yeah. behind it. It's it's fine. This is fine. Yeah, it's um, I mean, it's it's a weird place to be. And I've never I've never walked out of a job, but I did get escorted out one time. <laughs> yeah. So do you remember that? I wasn't there for it, but the way you described it, it was like when they capture Bane and the Dark Knight Rises. Uh huh. I was like, and that's exactly what it was like. It was like strawberries. <laughs> Perhaps he's wondering why you would fire a man <laughs> for stealing a magazine. Gary. <laughs> Sugary tomato paste. Yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah, they they did handcuff me. They had they had book handcuffs, so it was weird. <laughs> Uh, well, hi, everybody. Welcome to I Don't Want to Hear It. I'm Mikey. And I no longer work at Barnes & Noble. <laughs> Can't come within 50 feet of it. <laughs> I'm forever fired from there and also not hireable at Starbucks. Well, you know, who cares? I mean, yeah, at this point matter. with Starbucks, at this point with Starbucks, it's just, I think they just put shit in the in the drinks. Yeah, it's a, it's a whole thing. So. I feel like it's gone down. Good riddance. Just a just a diarrhea spigot right into your latte. It does not. They didn't taste know like what they had when to. I was there. <laughs> You're a coffee master. They gave that up. What a bunch of rubes. Um. So we are back <laughs> with another one and one or five. And before we get started with our lists, uh, why don't we go ahead and do a forgotten freshness? Whoop whoop. Yeah. I'm in an ape suit. That means I don't give a fuck. Let me put 
my forgotten freshness this week is a band out of Tacoma, Washington. If you asked me to find Tacoma, Washington on a map, I would have no idea where to look. Um, I'm assuming it's somewhere near Seattle, but I could be horribly wrong, and I'm just going to I just move forward from there. Um, it's all just this, rain and trees and, and baristas up there anyway. So Funny you should say baristas. So <laughs> the band that I picked was a band that was on Hydrahead Records. They put out literally one full length and a bunch of seven inches in EPs. I'm sorry, two full lengths and a bunch of seven inches and splits and all that stuff. And they are called Harkonnen. Oh. Oh, yes. They were only a band for eight years, which is great um, and weird. They are related to bands like Roy, <laughs> uh, Helmsley, Grip, and Himsa. Himsa is the only one in there I recognize. When you say yeah. Roy, it just makes me think of that episode of Rick and Morty where the guy, they play the game Roy. This guy's taking Roy off the map. This guy doesn't have a social security number for Roy. <laughs> it's dude it's a like sometimes a band comes up with a name and you're like why why that <laughs> so anyway the band is made up of ben varellen who is the brother of the singer of botch uh matt howard and casey hardy so they are from the same town as botch they are related to all those folks in that regard that's incestuous in that nature Batch. um and they are kind of they're described the genre they're described as is post-hardcore which I know to you sounds like fucking uh, like you'd rather put your hand in a garbage disposal. But um, I it's the kind of I feel like post hardcore that's not like shitty post hardcore. It's the kind of post hardcore. It's like I would liken them more to like some kind of noise rock, like that kind of loud. Like they would definitely tour with bands like Breathe or Resist. Like that's okay. they, they were on Hydrahead Records. It's, it's Hydrahead post hardcore, not like everyone else post hardcore like in in their description they're compared to dead guy and kiss it goodbye in like all those bands oh i like kiss it goodbye yeah and playing enemy is great too so like they're all in yeah, those circles good. so this band was a three-piece they're loud as fuck um but what was really great about them is that they the first time i found them i found their uh their self-titled cd harkonnen um grabbed it in tallahassee with my only tour money that i had um i think i got it for 99 cents and when I bought it, I was so stoked because I had the case, I had the 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 liner notes, and it was a burn CD in it for ninety nine cents. It's like fucking, what a piece of shit record store! Like <laughs> what record store? It was a record store in Tallahassee. I don't even remember what it was, but fuck them. So Ugh. anyway, so they were abandoned in nineteen ninety seven. They broke up in two thousand five with their last um their last release, which was called like a virgin. It was a split CD EP with these arms are snakes. Moms are snakes. But I remember, go. Ah, look at my arms are snakes. <laughs> another just weird band name. So they, I remember the first time I heard them was shake harder boy, which was their other full length CD, which is really great, which has a it song on it called a... baristas get stocked. <laughs> So. Well, yeah, but that that title just I don't know I don't I don't like it. It makes me feel just it's off putting. <laughs> well, so if that one's off putting, they have an EP called Dancing. They have an EP called The Grizz. <laughs> Those are just dumb. Yeah, and they and they also have one called Charge. <laughs> 
I like they did that. A sp- they did a split with Breathe or Resist on Happy Couples Never Last, which was cool. Um, and like I said, they did that split with um, These Arms Are Snakes, which was, um, you know, like two original songs for both bands. And then the last song was called Like a Virgin, which is the name of the split. Um, and they did that collaboratively. So both bands played on the same song and wrote a song together. So um, hmm. if you get a chance to listen to them, go listen to Shea Carter Boy. I feel like that's their most representative music. But uh, – Charge, Grizz, Dancing, all are a lot of fun, and the Like a Virgin EP is really great. I remember the one song on it um, has this really cool drum beat and a lot of really insane um, feedback, and it goes by the beat, and I remember just Steve going, S-A-T-U-R-D-A-Y, night, to the beat. Like, I can't I can't ever get it out of my head when I hear it, and when you hear it, you're going to be like, yeah, okay. Um, but it's really, they're a lot of fun. If you like noise rock, if you like the Melvins, if you like... Uh, um, anything like that, uh, let's see, there were wires, uh, all of those bands that just like make your ears want to fall off your head. They're worth, they're worth checking out. You know who they name themselves after? Uh, that's actually why I went back to them because I forgot about them because you referenced doom and the uh, dune, not doom. That's a different thing. Uh, dune in the last episode. Yeah. Baron Harkonnen, uh, he's so fat that they, they have these things called suspensers, which are flying chairs that just keep all his fat like partially elevated so it doesn't weigh him down. And, and he also is a diddler, so he's not Ugh. he's not the best. But no, and well, and you know what's funny is like when you listen to this band, they sound gross. Like they sound like somebody like somebody like they sound like that guy would look hmm. like the guy's vocals are like oh, broken, so anyway i love it they're fucking great so you won't like it but it's fine don't you tell me <laughs> give it give it one listen then tell me exactly what you think and then and then you know confirm my bias maybe all right all my right. pick this week is a band from Worcester, mass that's not the right accent. I don't know how to do it. They're from Worcester, Mass, and their name was Last Lights. Oh, I remember this band. Yeah, I don't know. I I sort of skimmed over them at first uh, right when their one and only LP came out. Not sure why. I think because the cover has sort of like stars and somebody sitting on a horse on it at night. So I was like, what? what is this? I don't need this. This is nothing that I need. <laughs> like the last Bane record? Actually, the last Bane record is my favorite Bane record because I'm not a huge Bane fan, and I really did like the last one. And I thought the cover was really, really, really pretty. Um, yeah. Anyway, Last Lights is a band that I guess you could you could definitely say that they pull from old bands like early Black Flag, but I think in a good modern comparison would be American Nightmare, but I just think it's better. And I know that I I hate and hate on American Nightmare. I do like early American Nightmare. This is similar, but I think it's a little more polished while at the same time being a little more raw. That doesn't make any sense, but that's what is happening in my brain when I hear it. And they have very poetic tongue-in-cheek lyrics, whereas American Nightmare was all about live journal and just, you know, throwing up on the floor because, you know, some girl looked at you weird. Uh, Last Lights <laughs> is a bit more, dare I say, mature, but still tongue-in-cheek. Okay. I don't know. They did one LP, which was a compilation of sorts. I believe they had a demo and one EP 
throughout their lifespan. And then they put it together as no past, no present, no future. And that came out on Think Fast in 09. Oh, I haven't heard about that record label in a long time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we we mentioned them on the This Is For You episode because we used to know the guy, Larry Esteem, who used to sing for Esteem, which was a Florida band. Uh, He ran that label for many, many years. I guess, I don't know if they're still a label, but he was from South Florida. And uh, he was always really nice to me. And I think he wanted to sign yours from now at one point. Uh, And we didn't do it because we... Missed, we missed a lot of opportunities. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they actually would have been a much better opportunity because they put out some great records. Anyway, uh, the thing about Last Lights is that's kind of tragic. Is the lead singer who you know is responsible for some great lyrics and he has a great had a great voice. He uh, passed away from a blood clot in two thousand eight. So it was before this record even came out. Um, his name was Dom Mallory, and I had heard, and this is hearsay that he well he used to go nuts when they played and he used to wrap the microphone cord around his throat oh so somebody uh i was reading on a message board uh way back when and they're saying like you know oh it's because he did this and blah 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 I, I don't know if that's true or not but he did pass away from a very unexpected blood clot so that sucks the band broke up and some of the members went on to form another very similar sounding band called mountain man um and they were on tour one time and i was doing a show in daytona and somebody called somebody who called somebody and who called me because their show fell through and they were like mountain man can make the show and then we waited around and they never showed up so i don't know oh nice (laughs) uh lyrically though i just wanted to spotlight a couple of my favorite spots because really last lights is fast it's it's raw it's punk it's hardcore it's snotty it's in your face but the lyrics are so great uh, so here's just a few samplings. Hey, 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 humanist. Your holy grail is a cup of piss. Got him. Uh, here's another one. We grew up in the decline, cursed to the core. Massachusetts is a coffin. I was born in a corpse. And oh. finally, I've seen the wonders of the world. They mean nothing to me. It's a slave trade, war parade, landfill, strip mall, death factory. I'm the one you call none, and this is my prayer. No past, no present, no future. Ooh. They're a really great band. Last Lights is definitely a band you should check out if you like fast, pissed-off punk rock hardcore. So check them out. I like Mad. (laughs) Mad! I like Mad bands. So I started I started making a list of bands that you talk about on the show and then bands I'm reminded of on from the show. Mm -hmm. Like um and I started listening to them as we go through. Like, I have Vane and Harm's Way and Coke Bust on here. So um, I've yeah. started adding bands. Daggermouth I put on there and Mind Eraser. So uh, I put Last Lights on that list. Daggermouth. Daggermouth is fun. They were a little goofy when they first got started. But I think that second LP is a lot of fun, even though that guy's voice is so high-pitched it hurts my ears. It's so it's a, it's so a lot. It's absurd. All so right. uh, you want to get to the lists? Let's do the last. <laughs> At number five this week, I chose a new online game that I'm actually playing with other people. Hmm. But those other people are just Matt Moment and our friend from Virginia, Joe Foster. Okay. The game is called Warhammer 2 Vermicide. That's, that sounds like... I feel like that's a Cannibal Corpse record. 
I mean, it, it definitely, you know, it, it's it's got all those like dark fantasy elements, axes and hammers and blood showering you. And there's a bunch of rat men running around. So it, mm. it's it's just an absurd online game that you can play with your friends where you just, you know, stab and bludgeon to death this mutant race of rat people who have overrun the Warhammer universe, which I'm not very familiar with the Warhammer universe. But, uh, yeah, it's just, you know, it's big muscular guys with axes and, and, and people throwing spells around. So it's just your average sort of fantasy world. What I was so happy about was we, we got together Friday to play it. The game is 70 gigs. So it's quite a lot to download over Wi-Fi because I don't think That's so many shows. I, I know. And I, there's, no, there's no physical uh, copy of it. It's a, it's a digital game. you got to download from the PlayStation Store. So... You know, I don't keep my PlayStation on 24-7, so I told Matt on Monday, I'm like, dude, I'm going to turn this thing on like three times throughout the week, and hopefully it downloads. And by <laughs> Friday night, uh, I, you know, I turned it on for a couple hours, it was loaded up and ready to go, and I had never been able to use my headset before, and I got to mm. use it. And it was fun! You know, I'm used to listening to podcasts while I play video games or whatever, but we just got to to kick it and hang out. I haven't physically seen Matt in uh, about a year. I haven't seen Joe in years. But when we got together yeah. on Friday, it was just like no time had passed, you know? We were just having a good time talking about uh, the, the new Cardi B song and just like... And uh, you get you get you know the game's the game's fun. It's pretty mindless. You know, it's not like Red Dead where you're you know planting stuff and farming and you know shooting people who threaten your bootleg operation. But yeah. um, you you pick your fantasy character, and I decided to go with the Witchfinder character, who basically sounds like John Cleese in Faulty Towers <laughs> when you hmm. kill somebody. You vicious bastard! <laughs> it's it's uh, it's a fun game. To play with your friends, especially, I don't think I would play it on my own. So, Warhammer 2, Vermicide, play it online with your friends. It's fun! Do you want to hear something funny? What's up? Uh, yesterday, I... Not yesterday. Was it yesterday? Maybe the day before. It might have been Tuesday. No, it was yesterday. Yesterday, I had to present to 700 people Jesus. about uh, sex education in our field. Mm. They didn't warn me. They weren't like... there's. They said they like five minutes before I was supposed to go on. They're like, "Oh, like nine hundred people registered for this." Like, you fucking kidding me? Like, you fucking assholes! I'm quitting. I'm walking out now. Anyway, in the presentation, I did say WAP, um, <clears throat> and I did. But I said, I said it stands for we are professionals because it was all about sex. I was like, that's what so we are professionals, right? So it was very like dad joke, but it made the rounds on the internet. So I think I'm famous now. Dude, what's so funny about that whole thing is like my parents know what that means now because Fox News got a hold of it because they're uh-huh. like, "Oops, this is the most terrible thing that has ever hit the airwaves." It's like, well, first the war off, on decency. Yeah, there's there's no airwaves anymore, Tucker Carlson, you fucking idiot. But um, you know, it's just like they don't. It's like they don't know Little Kim was a thing, and so now my parents are saying, "Do you know what WAP stands for?" And I'm like, "Jesus Christ." It's, it's painful, it's right? Ridiculous. It's nothing we haven't heard before, and Cardi B can actually rhyme. So, yeah. So whatever. It's actually, yeah, it's fine. So moving on. All right. <clears throat> so my number five. Sometimes there are things that sound cool but don't end up cool, 
or there are situations that shouldn't be cool that end up being great. So, Mikey, what kind of images are conjured up in your mind when you hear the word Thunderdome? Uh, just, you know, <clears throat> chainsaw arms and people getting decapitated and limbs flying off and uh, <laughs> two man enter, one man leave. Uh-huh. So how would you feel if it was a wrestling ring surrounded by Zoom screens? I'd say I don't want to live on this fucking planet anymore. So, my number five is the way that sporting events have changed and adapted to this COVID thing with no live crowds by including things that in the crowd that should not exist. And so, my two examples are going to be baseball and WWE's Thunderdome, which are just a series of screens. Hmm. Here's why this is great. Let me start with... Let me start with baseball. So some baseball stadiums have taken it upon themselves to fill the stands with people or stuffed animals. Well, they they want people to like pay for tickets, right? So now what you do is you pay for a ticket to be at the be to be a cardboard cutout on screen. That's that's so stupid. Okay, it sounds stupid, right? So dumb. Would it be stupid if one of those cardboard cutouts was Bernie from Weekend at Bernie's? <laughs> no, that's someone who's having fun with it, but, you know. Right. So that's what people are doing. People are taking it and having fun with it. So somebody decided that they didn't want a cardboard cutout. They put a giant teddy bear in a seat. <laughs> and the best part is that giant teddy bear got hit in the head with a baseball. <laughs> and the announcers couldn't stop laughing at how silly it was. Yeah, because the whole thing is silly. Our lives have become uh, a horrible comedy routine. Yeah. So, anyway, so baseball's adapted. You see these things like Weekend at Bernie's. You see a giant bear. But then you also see WWE, and what they have done is they have put together live screens that wrap around the entire ring. Then they call it the WWE Thunderdome. There's no way that a live screen could go wrong, right? Oh, sure. Yeah. So tell that to the guy that dressed in a KKK wizard's outfit on live TV. <laughs> what a shithead. What a shithead. Yeah. So they're so actually what's great about that is WWE is like tracking him down and pressing charges, which is great. But the other Not one in makes my me house, laugh. brother. Right. The other one, given the controversy that goes along with wrestling in general and all the the seedy underbelly like, you know, beyond, was it beyond the mat or whatever those, they, they kind of talk about like all the awful things that happen. Mm. There's just some gems. And so some people took it upon themselves to not be on camera, but put maybe dead wrestlers on camera. <laughs> one specific one. One specific one, multiple times. His name is Chris Benoit. <laughs> Shit. So God. on multiple occasions. People have replaced their Zoom camera with a picture of Chris Benoit smiling, and nobody notices for a long time because there's so many screens. God. The man that was hit in the head so hard so many times it made him kill his family. And himself. And himself. That he hung himself on his weight equipment, on his workout equipment. What so, a message. God. What? Yes. So, so that's my favorite thing right now is that they are. I'm just. I'm excited to see how these live crowds go with this type of thing and how quickly it will get 
dissolved only because this happens all the time, right? We talked about Exploding Whale Memorial Park and Bodie McBoatface and how the internet is just fucking awful, but also very silly. And so here are just a couple more examples of how the internet just wins. In my number four spot, I guess you could say it's a divisive pick. Okay. It's a band. <laughs> okay. It's a, it's a band we've seen many a time. And I'm sure I've I've joked about them at some point or another, but deep down I actually really like this band. <laughs> and the band is called Kids Like Us. <laughs> so specifically at my number four spot, it is the second LP by Kids Like Us, Out of Control. I remember that one. That one was fun. They were a fun band to watch. And that's my point here. They were fun. They were fun as fuck. But they got a bad rap. So it it wasn't that I was ever embarrassed to say that I liked them or embarrassed to watch them. But it was one of those bands that, you know, snobby people will look down their nose at you for. And I say fuck you because they are a Florida original. But after that This Is For You Fest episode we did... I had actually been listening to some of the bands we talked about, and I went back again, and I I listened to Out of Control two more times because it's like a 15-minute album. (laughs) Right. And I was just like, man, I have a lot of good memories of that band, and I didn't realize it. So Kids Like Us was a hardcore band from Jacksonville. They started in the early 2000s, and uh, (laughs) the beginnings were (laughs) they had the demo with the spray paint cover. Yep, and I had that demo, and then it all got peeled off. Yeah. Spray paint was never the ticket as far as artwork went, because if you stick it in in the you know in with the rest of your stuff, it gets stuck. You, you try to pull it out, and it rips the cover apart. Uh-huh. That's what happened to my Fairies CD, the, dem- the, the grindcore band from New Orleans. It's like, yeah. where am I ever going to find this again? This is so crazy. But the CD had spray paint all over the cover and sleeve, and it ripped the data off. So. Yep, that's exactly what happened to my Kids Like Us demo with the zombie head. Yeah, and it was cool. It was cool artwork, at least, because the lead singer of Kids Like Us, Lars, is a very good artist, and I believe he's a tattoo artist now, but he was a really good I think artist. So. And he, he did a lot of their artwork, you know, screen-printed posters and album covers and stuff, so... Yeah, he's he's a talented guy. But uh, so after the demo, they did the 80s are dead, which was the first record. And I remember when it came out, everyone was losing their shit, me included. But compared to their the stuff that came after, it's a little primitive. It's just kind of like, I don't know. It's almost like a shitty left for dead in parts. (laughs) Yeah, I could see that. And then there's like a little bit of a, a mosh. Uh, and, and Lars' voice back then was just kind of like barking, kind of high-pitched. But then the record that I chose came out in 2005, Out of Control. Kids Like Us kind of went with a, a makeover. They kind of made themselves over into more of a heavier band, a more of a riff-oriented band. And Lars' voice, I, th- I still think, is a great hardcore vocalist voice. Yeah, I no, I agree. I mean, I think that, I think that record is a lot of fun and i think that he was a great frontman too like he was just he had a lot of energy he had what you needed to be in a good hardcore band yeah so here's some of the uh titles that i just i love off this record and they're they're just they're fun uh box of buttholes (laughs) (laughs) you know your life sucks ass hat and gator smash (laughs) so ridiculous i mean it was so 
knuckle draggy. Yeah, yeah, and I mean it, it was it was heavy, but I mean it, I like I said it was riff oriented, and, and I thought they were they they wrote some pretty cool songs. Um, you know, I there was always rumors about them like oh they were dicks when they stayed with me, but like nothing was ever really substantiated that I ever found out about. Lars was always super nice to me. He supported our bands. He drew a shirt for years from now. We never ended up making it. We never ended up actually printing the shirt, but it was really cool looking. And yeah. I think we probably would have sold a bunch of them, but we couldn't afford to do the full color that it required. And uh, right. even, even back when Axis toured with his vegan power violence band, uh, Captive Bolt, that he did, Lars was still really cool to all of us. And something that I just remembered. The 80s Are Dead contains a song called Don't Fake the Punk, and I believe they redid it on Out of Control. I can't remember right now. But they did a yeah. video for Don't Fake the Punk at Teen Wolf's house in Daytona. And they filmed it outside. Oh, yeah. They played in this kid's driveway, and they filmed it as a music video. And I'm in the video. <laughs> and I'm in the best part of the video where the song stops on some accents, and Lars goes, taking it back. And I'm jumping up <laughs> on somebody going, take it at that. Dude, it so, so ridiculous. It was one of my cool little claims to fame. So, uh, you know, it was it was it was cool, man. Um, this band was Florida in every sense of the word. And the record that followed this, the game, I also really like. Um, I, I don't know how other people feel about it. Out of Control was kind of like the big hit. I know your kryptonite with this band would be the not one, but two splits they did with the Mongoloids, where on one of them, they cover each other's songs. On the other one, they do their own songs, but Kids Like Us covers fucking Rain Dogs by Tom Waits. (laughs) What a weird, what a weird cover. I think, I think Lars was really into Tom Waits, like lyrically and artistically. I don't know the dude very well, but like I said, Fun band, great dude. Kids like us, out of control. If you haven't listened to that shit since 2005, go back because it's fun. Yeah, that's crazy to think that that's 15 years old. Oh God, we used to Matt Mitrick and I. We used to just throw boxes in the back of journeys to that record. Dude, so crazy. That's what I'm. You know what I heard? You know what I heard the other day? Somebody, uh, this band Mercy Union, which is uh, the drummer from Gaslight Anthem, Mm -hmm. um covers infrared by strike anywhere so weird when shit like that happens like that strike anywhere is old enough to cover yeah and do you have you ever seen there's a video of some australian hardcore band covering kids like us it's just so weird when that shit that type of shit happens i can't do it i don't like it now all right all right yo get yeah. So my number my number four is my record for the uh for the episode. Um I forget sometimes how much I really like hip hop. Um because I don't listen to it a lot, but when I do, I always try to grab stuff that's like a palate cleanser for some of the bullshit that's out there. Mm-hmm. Like I, I know I don't listen to a ton, but I know I listen to it enough and I know I listen to good hip hop. I don't listen to like anything that Riley listens to for hip hop, right. which is bad hip hop. So Lil Xan, um, but I, Lil Xan or what? Yeah, exactly. Jesse Jesse loves shit like that, and I'm like, why do you like hip hop associated with Tiger's Jaw? Like, it doesn't make boys. any sense. Yeah, it's just no thanks. Anyway, 
I got a pleasant surprise this month, or last month, the end of last month, of the 13th studio album from American rapper Nas. He dropped King's Disease, and that is my number four. Have you listened to this yet? I haven't. I Early Nas, I'm pretty knowledgeable on, but I don't know much past Godson. Well, right, and that's kind of my thing. It's like I don't listen to a lot of Nas, but what I listen to about Nas is like when I do listen to him, I, I love it. Like, and so I was like, oh, good, he's got a new record. I haven't really listened to like sat down and listened to like hip hop in a little bit, so I'm gonna go ahead and play his this record. And man, it is a great listen. Like, it's not one of those things where I can go back and pinpoint a lot of different items or different things from the record, but I really enjoyed listening to it and really had. Um, just, there were a couple songs like ultra black really stuck out with me. Um, let's see, what was the other one? The blue bends card 85, like the first half of the record really stuck out. Um, I want to give it a couple more listens because I really did enjoy it, but there's a ton of collaborations on it. Um, a lot of people I don't know. So that's probably just me, um, being an old person. Um, the firm is on it. So that's cool. Oh shit. Uh, the firm, the firm. Yeah. The firm is on full circle. Dude, the firm that record was dope. Yeah, I mean they have. Let's see. So some of the collaborations that are on here are um, Hit Boy. Um, I've got <laughs> Big Boy. Sean, Don Tolliver, Lil Durk, Anderson Pac, Brucey e. B, The Firm, um, ASAP Ferg, uh, Fivio Foreign, and so and you know there's just a ton of other names on here. I'm not gonna list everybody that's on here, but. <clears throat> It's a it's an easy listen. It's thirteen record or thirteen songs. It's a it's a nice way to just kind of like sit back and chill because he just has such a great like flow for I guess hip hop that kind of has like a skate type of vibe to it. Like it's got that flow. Um, <clears throat> I always liked that kind of hip hop, like not the aggressive, loud stuff that makes you sad. <laughs> makes you sad. Okay. It makes you sad. So anyway, that's my record. It's called King's Disease. It's by Nas. It's his 13th record, and it's out, and you can go listen to it. And I recommend everybody do that. My number three, I chose a new-ish Netflix docu-series okay it's called the world's most wanted that's my number three all right so this show is six uh five episodes long so it's a really short one they're like 48 minutes a piece and each episode profiles one of the world's most wanted criminals and since i'm you know i'm usually i usually confine myself to serial killer uh, true crime or um, occult true crime or mafia type stuff gangsters so there there's a whole world of crime just a just a wonderful world of crime and terrorism out there that we just we don't really think about here in America so uh, I'm gonna just rattle off the names here there's one that I do want to talk about for a second because I had no idea who this person was the rest of these I th- I had heard of before so Ismail El Mayo Zambada Garcia. They call him El Mayo. He's the head of the Sinaloa cartel. Once they got Chapo, he took over. And he's very elusive. And the only photos of him, it looks like it's from the 80s. You know, it's just... He's nice. Got his, he's got his polo shirt tucked into his, his, his pleated slacks. 
<laughs> but uh, apparently he's uh, a fucking maniac. So uh, then there is Felician Kabuga, who this is one I didn't know too much about, but he was the financier of the Rwandan genocide between the Tutsis and the Hutus. Have you ever mm-hmm. have you ever read anything about that or watched anything about the Rwandan genocide? Uh, besides Hotel Rwanda and the card that's in the um, Cards Against Humanity <laughs> deck, I don't really know much about it, unfortunately. I didn't really either. I mean, that's my own American ignorance coming out like, well, it's not happening in my front yard. But the Rwandan genocide is like one of the, m- the most horrific things that has ever happened. I'm not going to. No, it's crazy. It's like 800,000 people were killed, right? Yeah. I mean, and they, this is, we're talking with, yes, with guns, but also with machete decapitations. Like, yeah, it is awful. It is some wild, brutal stuff. And I don't want to belabor it and bring it to bring us down. But Felician Kabuga, he basically imported the machetes and he uh, was behind all the propaganda uh, that, that caused the Hutus to, you know, go after the Tutsis. So he is, uh, and he's, he's, he's just, he's, I think he's in, um, God, what did they say? I think he's in Sweden now or something. I don't know, but the motherfucker's got a bunch of money and has never really faced justice for what he did. Then there is Simeon Mogilevich, which I can't do a Russian accent. Simeon <laughs> Mogilevich, Mogil, Moglevich, the boss of the Russian mafia. <laughs> Dude. That's an insane name. I mean, Simeon, I mean, that... I, <laughs> You should see this guy. It, it, you know, anyone that watches this show, as you're scrolling through, even if you don't read the episode descriptions, you'll know which one Simeon is. Because <laughs> he is a right. big dude who looks like he doesn't have to move two feet for anybody if he doesn't want to. Because he probably can just think it and you'll get killed. Because the Russian mafia, uh, you know, what little I have read about them. I have read a couple of books about them and they, you know... <laughs> I think the Italian mafia is bad. These guys are out of their minds. You can't be uh, one of the, there's a lot of different sects, but there's some that they basically like, you can't be a part of it unless you've been to prison in Siberia. Like you, yeah. ha- you have to go do that first. <laughs> so Right. Let, that's your side quest. And then there's uh Matteo Messina Denaro, who is the last godfather of the Italian Cosa Nostra. So they got okay. the they got the Cosa Nostra in Italian. They got the uh, in Italy, excuse me, and they got the the Drangheta and the the um, the Camorra. So the Cosa Nostra, Cosa Nostra means our thing, and the Italian wing of the mafia is a lot more hardcore than their American counterparts. They'll just blow your whole house up with your family in it. So right, this guy Matteo Denaro, he's been on the run forever. There's all these different photos of him, but he, he's wearing the same sunglasses in every one of them. So it's like he's totally recognizable if he wears the sunglasses. <laughs> right. And then finally, and this was the one that I had never heard of, Samantha Luthwaite, the only female on the list and the most hardcore out of all of them, I feel like. it Just, just in her commitment. They call right. her the White Widow. This is... Bitch is nuts, and I do mean bitch, and I do mean nuts, okay? Not mincing words about <laughs> okay. this woman. So basically, Samantha Luthwaite, the white widow, she is a a terrorist, and she's, she's originally from Great Britain, and mm-hmm. she converted to Islam, but she went the, uh, the militant route. So she was married... 
to one of the bombers in the July 2005 London bombing. She had two kids with him, and then he went and blew himself up on a subway train in London. And then she married another guy who was a terrorist, and she's been involved in all these these terror plots across the world. She was involved in the Mombasa grenade attack, which I didn't even know was a thing. They basically threw grenades in this bar in Mombasa back in 2012 during a fucking soccer game. Everyone's in there watching it. They waited till it was filled up, and they threw a bunch of grenades in there and blew a bunch of people up. That's awful. It was ridiculous. And then there was the Westgate shopping mall attack, which happened in Nairobi, where these fucking guys just walked through with AKs and just executed people in the mall. I mean, it's, it is wild shit, man. I mean, there is shit going on in this world. I mean, you know, we're all like about coronavirus. I'm like, oh my God, you know, everything sucks right now. But like, there are some places where, good God, I, I just couldn't even imagine it. So basically this woman's whole deal is she keeps marrying members of these of these terror cells and having children with them and then they go blow themselves up and then she marries another one and has children with them. They're calling her the mother of terrorists. That's what they That's call awful. her. That's awful. She's th- look, she is an internationally wanted murdering terrorist. This woman is fucking bane, okay? So <laughs> I was just blown away by it. It's like, I don't know why there's not a movie about her. I mean, I know it might trivialize some of the, the, the attacks that she's been involved in. Maybe when they catch her or kill her, they should do a movie about this fucking bitch because she is horrible. Anyway, uh, the series is really well done. You know, it's not like some fucking, you know, basic cable, true TV type shit. It's very well done. The subjects are, are profiled really well. I dug it. World's Most Wanted, Netflix. You should check it out. All right. Um, that sounds terrifying, and I don't even want to watch it for fear of becoming a target for watching it. <laughs> I think you're fine if you watch it. Maybe because I've talked about it now, I will be a target. Well, no, but I think that you've implicated me, so I think we've got to deal with that. Oh, shit! Get, get, delete it! <clears throat> All right. Well, since we didn't just talk about terrorists, let's talk about something cool. <laughs> um. So my number three is a place that you and I have inhabited the same space of multiple times for many years and probably from for most of our formative years. Um, and I feel like this place holds a special place for us for multiple reasons. But my number three is a record store because we've talked about record stores. Mm-hmm. We've talked about record stores a lot, but there's something really special about this one. And my number three is Park Ave CDs out in Orlando. Yay! So what is your... What is your experience with Park Ave? Well, we have a we have a decent record store here in town, but then when I went to Park Ave for the first time and I was like, "Oh. So, the one in town has like 35% of the things I want, and Park Ave right. has 99% of the, the the records and shit I want to buy." <laughs> it has literally everything I want. Oh yeah, absolutely. So So, just as a here's the story. So, Park Ave is this little tiny record store. I, I I dare I say tiny because it's not it's not a very big space, but they do a lot of really cool things with what they have. So they are pretty expansive. They have a lot of punk, hardcore, metal, like all the stuff that we kind of listen to, good hip-hop, bunch of used vinyl. They have a ton of stuff there. Um, but they also will sometimes 
rearrange the store and hold in-house shows. So you'll find like the Gaslight Anthem and Dave Haas and a bunch of bands that used to come play. The Social would play there. Yeah. Um, there's a really cool photo of Childish Gambino, Gambino performing there. Um, and so like they would like make these live shows. And what's cool is they would record them and sell them. Like they would like the artists would sell them as like part of their discography. So you've got like these really cool intimate shows, these live recordings, kind of like before Tiny Desk was doing Tiny Desk, but also better. Right, right. And so, um, so funny story. I was bringing out some of our books to Park Ave, which, by the way, they're carrying our books at Park Ave, which is cool. Yay! Which is like a weird kind of thing. You know, I talked to the folks, like, I talked to the guy, um, the guys that work there, and I was like, listen, we used to come here when we were like 14, 15 years old and spend all of our money from busting tables and stuff to like buy every record we could. Like, that was a trip that we made. Well, we went out. Uh, I took Riley out there. She loves that store. She loves the record store. And what's cool about it is we went out there on record store day accidentally. Oh, cool. So so not only did we get to go out there, we got some cool records. We got some cool deals. Um, I ended up getting the last Menzinger's record, the Spice record, the, um, the American Nightmare record, uh, the newest American Nightmare record, which I like, um, which you don't like, but I like. Um, I'm trying to think. I got a few other. Oh, the the new Spanish love songs record. So I got a like. I spent like, like it did like when I was a kid. I was like, oh, I got all these records. I got a really cool Archers of Love seven inch that was like a rare seven inch. So uh, really stoked about that. But uh, what's cool about this place is too, they have like books. They have like local artists. They have a bunch of stuff. Um, but it's always fun because you get to go there and you get to talk shop with people who like really care about music and kind of understand the scene. And so I was wearing a face to face shirt. And, um, one of the guys was, was there and he's like, Hey man, I like your shirt. It's cool. Cool shirt. And it was the dude from, is it the attack? The guy from the spit valves, Mikey, he played guitar. Yeah. 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 So he's so he works at, he works at park Ave. Yeah. He's worked there forever. And he is like the nicest dude ever. And that's why exactly what I said. I was like, you know, we've come out here for years. We have shopped here for years and we've always like, I was like, I, we, cause I was, I told him I, the last time I saw you guys, you were playing with face to face. So it's been a little bit since I saw y'all, but it was a really cool – it was just a really great experience, and just – it reminded me of how much I love good record stores, but specifically love that record store and how meaningful that place is because, again, we would just blow our entire paychecks on going out there. So, yeah, um, yeah so if you ever get a chance and you're in Orlando, um, you can go and check out Park Ave CDs. It's in a strip mall. It's in this weird little spot near um, like kind of the art district of Orlando, but not really near it. Um, but you can also go on their website and – pre-order a ton of stuff and order stuff from their Instagram and whatnot. And they have like a whole used vinyl Instagram that is like, they sell their rarities and stuff. It's just a really cool shop. It's what a record store should be to me. Agreed. So, so that's my number three park app CDs. The day trips when we would all head out there and you know, you'd make a day of it, get four rivers or something and you know, go to the record store and, Last time I was there, I spent, God, I spent a hundred something dollars. I just bought a bunch of vinyl and a bunch of, they, they, I still go to the used CDs cause there's like two, two, three, four dollar ones. So I'll buy a bunch of vinyl and then I'll grab like four or five CDs just to, yeah, just for the hell of it. So, and they always have great stuff. I mean, every time I go there, I find something I want. Yeah. And I mean, their movies is even too, and their books, they have stuff that you're not going to always find. I mean, they have import movies. They have a bunch of criterion collection movies and a lot of books there, you know, like Nick Cave's book 
and or books and you know they, they have a lot of like yeah. the stuff that you'd you know expect a record store to have like Bukowski and shit like that but you know it, it's 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 a store that's got basically everything that you could want right like especially anybody like us like if you read zines you read like all that stuff like they have literally all of that stuff so we so it's cool like that's one of the things that's really cool is like when we would go there we would always find something we wanted but now we actually have like it was cool finding our record there. Like when we had years from now and like we would find our record yeah. there every now and again, that like was that cool. was really cool to see. But like now it's cool to be like, not only did they used to have our record, but they also sell our books. So it's just a really neat. Experience, yes. So. Published authors. Do you, mm, we're writers. Do you carry our leather bound screeds? Mm. <laughs> oh, it's a first edition. Would you like it autographed? It's the only edition. <laughs> <laughs> Next! Alright, so for my number two, <laughs> I picked another Netflix docuseries. Nice. I have, I it just, it's been such a tiring week and I, I was just like, what have I done this week? What has been in my field of vision that I have, that I've liked? I have, I wasn't really creative this week. So for number two, it is a three episode little docuseries, true crime, of course, cause I'm watching it and it is called Fear City, New York versus mm. the Mafia. Mm. So I don't want to spoil everything. Just a quick little sum up. This is a look at the famous Mafia Commission trial of the 1980s. Now, that might not mean a lot to people who don't, who, who, who've never read about the Mafia, but there is a commission, which is basically the heads of the five families, because there are five families, or at least there used to be. I don't know what it is now. There are five crime families that ran New York, and they sat on literally basically like a board of directors. And they didn't meet very often. In fact, I think they only met once in the 80s because one of their meetings got raided in the 50s and they'd never wanted to meet and get caught again. Mm -hmm. And basically, this was the first time that they used the RICO statute, which is basically... It's, it's basically about a corrupt organization. You know, you don't have to catch the boss shooting somebody in the face to put the boss in jail for shooting somebody in the face. Now, one of his soldiers down the, down the pipeline could do it. And then that basically comes back to the boss. So that's what, that's basically what Rico right. is. Everybody's guilty. If somebody steps out of line, if you're an, or if you're a corrupt organization. So what is funny is cause now, you know, in recent years, Rudy Giuliani has been in the news quite a lot, just sort of spitting up out of his mouth. Yeah. 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 It's, it's well, pretty oh. aggressive, but I remember Rudy Giuliani as America's mayor after 9-11. And in all the stuff that I've read, I rem also remembered him as he was the guy who put together the prosecution team to take down the mafia back in the 80s because he's Italian, even though he's lost his fucking mind now. He's Italian and he took it as a personal affront that, you know, Italians were equated to gangsters and there was all this sort of extortion going on in the New York Italian community. He wanted to put these people away. I guess he right. didn't know what a power vacuum was because you put one of these bosses away, just another one jumps up to take their place. 
But he was successful in prosecuting them. And it was probably the last time in this when you see him in this documentary, the old footage is probably the last time he actually made any sense when he spoke. But so just real quick, um, I just want you to hear the names of some of these main goombas that were indicted back in 1985. Uh And they they, you know. This isn't really a spoiler. They did put all these guys away, and they it really dealt a blow to the mafia in New York. That's why there's all these other organizations that sort of rose up in the 90s, the Russians, of course, you know, that, that have filled in those gaps. So here, here was the, the list of the four big bosses who were indicted. Paulie Big Paul Castellano. <laughs> Anthony. They, they couldn't get more creative. They couldn't get more creative than Big Paul. Big Paulie. Anthony Fat Tony Salerno. <laughs> Big Pauly was the Gambinos. Fat Tony was the Genoveses. And then Anthony Tony Ducks Corallo. He was Tony the, Ducks. Because he ducked all the indictments. <laughs> he, ah. He's the Lucchese boss. Philip Rusty Restelli from the Bonanos. And Carmine Junior Persico of the Columbos. <laughs> Good Lord. There was a bunch of other ones like Tom Mix and Mr. Neal and Christy Tick and little Ralphie and Bruno. And That's all... fucking awesome. I know. But the one thing that I really loved about this is there's a lot of old footage and you actually get to see some of these old godfathers. I mean, these guys did not let themselves get photographed like John Gotti. So there is a moment where Fat Tony during the trial, you know, these guys posted their bail immediately because they're gazillionaires. So he's walking right. out of the courthouse to go home for the night and the reporter's coming up to his car and Fat Tony is fat as fuck. He's old and he's always got a cigar sticking out of his mouth. And they're like, Tony, you got something to say? <laughs> he's just he's like, yeah, go fuck yourself. <laughs> and the guy's, <laughs> like, the guy's like, thank you. He's like, you're welcome. It's just. It's straight out of a movie. <laughs> and Big Paulie, of course, he actually avoided going to jail because hmm. shortly after this, John Gotti staged a coup in the Gambino family alongside Sammy the Bull Gravano, and they whacked out Big Paulie and his driver, Tommy Bellotti, in Midtown in, in front of Sparks Steakhouse. It, it, during the Christmas shopping season, all these dudes came up and just shot him like 70 times and ran away. So that's insane. He didn't have to go to jail, but he did get shot to death and then some. So he got Swiss cheesed. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, Fear City. It's it's a real short watch, but it's a lot of fun. And if you're if you're at all interested in the mafia, I'd say it is required viewing. And there's so much good old footage. So, yeah, Fear City. All right. All right. I mean, do they show the guy getting shot up? No, there's no video footage of it, but there are, I mean, there's a lot of famous photos of, of mob guys just laying in their own blood, like Big Paul, that's right. a big famous photo of him. I mean, you definitely see his, his brains have left his head, and uh, Carmine Galanti was a big one, because this guy was so violent, and he was so dangerous, and he would only eat at this one restaurant, Joe and Mary's, where there was like, he had all these bodyguards stationed there. And they just walked in one day, like straight up J- John Woo in this place with pistols, just boom, 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 boom. So many doves. And yeah, and there's a picture of Carmine Galanti. He's collapsed behind the table, and he's still got his cigar in his mouth, even though he's just filled with bullet holes. That's wild. Yeah, man, it's crazy shit. I hope that never happens to me. Well, you know, you don't uh, run an organized crime family, so you're you're fine. 
so far as you know. Like, wait till you hear the rest of my list. It's gonna it's gonna definitely point in that direction. <laughs> All right. So my number two. You know, on this track of like, there's no such thing as guilty pleasures. This was one that I still struggled with, given how much fun I've made of this thing for so many years. Like, to the level that I feel like if I were running for a political office, it could be used against me that I made so much fun of it. So, Mikey, what was your least favorite drink or least favorite recipe or least favorite thing about working at Starbucks besides the customers? Like, what was your least favorite time of year? Um... Fuck. I mean, the I mean, pumpkin spice was annoying. I like pumpkin spice lattes. I do, but just everybody, you know, making a hundred and fifty of them a day. And then when we did the smoothies with the bananas, what the hell were those called? Oh yeah, those were bullshit. Oh, the smoothie with the frozen fucking banana. I hated anyone who ordered that, and I wished just death and disease on them. Yeah, that was the worst. Well. My number two is made of cinnamon and nutmeg and cloves and allspice and ginger. My number two is pumpkin spice. (laughs) So here's the thing is in this time of crisis with everything going on, my, my immediate gut reaction was to make fun of pumpkin spice was to be like, Oh, pumpkin spice is out. Do you have your infinity scarf? (laughs) And I caught myself and I was like, you know, in a time where people need a little bit of joy, such a simple thing people deserve, who am I? Like, who am I to take anybody's joy? So, especially because I actually liked it and I would just make fun of it for the irony of it. Like, just being like, well, you know, this sucks because you suck, but I like it. (laughs) Yeah. So it doesn't suck when I like it. (laughs) Wait, this sucks because you suck. That's got to (laughs) be... That's got to be a shirt. <laughs> this this sucks because you suck. <laughs> so that's also the name of the episode now. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> so <laughs> this sucks because you suck. So, but I was thinking about this, and you know, as much as I hated pumpkin sp- making pumpkin spice lattes, and most of the people that ordered them, they're pretty. They're not bad, and. One of my favorite things to get this time of year is a pumpkin cream cheese muffin, which is delif- delicious. Also and delicious. pumpkin rolls mm-hmm. are delicious. Mm-hmm. And even the pumpkin scones, which are covered in the thickest layer of solid icing, still <laughs> tasty. So, you know, when I started thinking about that, I was like, you know, it's not a flavor, flavor, it's not a flavor profile that I typically go for, right? I'm not like a cinnamon guy. I'm not like a – and it's not like always super sweet. I hate nutmeg. But you know, man, it's just it's just warm and toasty, and I think everybody needs that. It's like instead of getting a hug because you can't hug anybody, go buy a pumpkin spice latte and treat yourself to that little bit of a uh, little bit of joy. Um, and I feel I don't feel guilty about making fun of people for drinking it, mm-hmm. but I definitely understand that I need to like lay lay back on that a little bit this year. Well, pumpkin spice people are, are generally douchebags, but. That is a good drink. I, it just is. It tastes like when you eat pumpkin pie and you take a drink of coffee at Thanksgiving. That's what it tastes like to me with a little bit of cinnamon and nutmeg on top. Yeah, it's delicious. So why why be mad about it? What about the Christmas drinks? Did you like the Christmas drinks? No, I fucking hated the Christmas oh. drinks. The gingerbread latte is such bullshit. Oh. The gingerbread latte tastes awful. It tastes like it tastes like chemical cookie. 
I love the gingerbread latte. I love the peppermint mocha. I love the caramel apple cider. Um, that used to be my, <laughs> the, before my metabolism stopped and I've started to just, you know, get, <laughs> I used to have one of those apple fritters warmed up with caramel apple cider. I do a short one, but <laughs> I'm sure it was still just packed with sugar. Oh, that was such a oh, good dude. breakfast. Listen, I, I, I'm all about a good caramel apple cider and I'm all, I'm all about a peppermint mocha. I just don't like, I just didn't like the gingerbread latte. I just didn't, I don't think it, it didn't do it for me. Do you remember the honey latte? That was fucking amazing. Are you, it tasted like bug spray straight no. up. No, you've mixed these up. It was an off latte. Well, you weren't working there when we made the blueberry frappuccinos. No, I was not, but I, I'd be willing to try one of those. Normally, on, on a normal day, yeah, I would be all about it. But at the time, I was making – we had to make uh, banana frappuccinos and blueberry frappuccinos. And that whole summer, all they did was play Bob Marley nonstop. <laughs> I'd be into that, though. No, it was – I mean, yeah, you would be stoked. I hated it. But there was there were a couple times where they would do that. And there's that one Paul McCartney record that came out. I think you and I were both working there, and they just played it nonstop for like a fucking week. Well, the music selection at Starbucks, I mean, that that needs an overhaul. I, I don't I don't need to hear any more fucking ukulele, indie jazz, whatever. And I, what, what I used to do to chase people out when I worked at the Bel Air one is I would go to the Sirius station for opera, and I would slowly turn it up. Yeah. <laughs> that dude Sean we were that dude Sean from like Ecuador we worked with he's like Mike go turn up the opera we have to get these people out of here it's terrible in here <laughs> that he guy was, so was great that guy was so great man he he would constantly ask me to impersonate Al, Al Pacino instead of a woman and I gladly obliged I had so much fun working with him he was, <laughs> he was such a great guy we would we would just uh like like we would just see how early we could close the store, yeah. but we would also like leave like for the morning. We would leave like uh, we would take the plastic gloves and fill them with whipped cream and leave them under mats. So when you step on the mat, it would explode with whipped cream everywhere. Dude, that guy was such a he was such a smart guy. And he he you know, he had he I don't I don't remember if Ecuadorian was was his actual ethnicity, but he had such a he had such a pristine accent but he spoke better English than I did. He just sounded so yeah. regal, but he was so funny. It just his insubordination too. He he just didn't oh, yeah. give a shit. No, you know, insubordination. It uh, it 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 is a good thing to be insubordinate. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yes, yes. I like this guy. Okay. So is it time for number one? Number one. <laughs> For my number one, I, I need to I need to relate a quick anecdote. Mm -hmm. So back in it was either late two thousand seven, no, it was two thousand eight, summer of two thousand eight. And I remember I had my first uh, smartphone that I could I could watch something on, and I don't even know if there was a YouTube app at the time. I don't remember what it was. But I watched the first trailer for The Dark Knight. Yeah. And I remember I was living <clears throat> I was living in Virginia, I believe. And that was when I was living with Matt. And I was taking a shit in his bathroom. <laughs> and I was watching it. 
And I was just getting chills because it was like it was that trailer where it was it was very minimal and there wasn't really it was that Hans Zimmer like non music just like yeah and you just hear the Joker like there's no going back you've changed things forever and and then you did you yeah. see like quick flashes like the Joker shooting that RPG and just and I, and my my brains were just cooked. I couldn't believe how fucking awesome it looked. And and the trailer hid so much of what was ha- what was to happen in the movie. Like they didn't even hint to the whole Two-Face subplot. Right. And then I saw the movie and I saw it five fucking times and I saw I I bought the DVD that gave the day it came out and when they released the Blu-ray set, I bought that. I was obsessed with it. I loved it. There was just something so you know, it was like these characters that were just so classic and almost Shakespearean. The unstoppable force meets the immovable object. I just loved it yeah. so fucking much. And I haven't felt that way about a Batman trailer until now. Dude, I'm so stoked. I was I, I have been waiting to hear you talk about this. So my number one is is the trailer that was released last week for the brand new Batman film coming out next year called The Batman. Dude. So, just a quick caveat. I actually loved Ben Affleck as Batman for the first half of Batman vs. Superman. He was brutal. He was dark. He was vengeful. He put that fucking armor on and he called Superman out. You gonna fuck up my city, you fucking alien? Uh uh-uh. uh. He puts the goddamn <laughs> armor on. Do you bleed? Yeah. You will. And they fuck each other up until they realize their moms have the same name. And after that, the fucking movie fall just fell apart for Batman. I, I I didn't like the movie, but Batman was good. I was like, Ben Affleck is killing it right now. And then he's doing all these one-liners and shit by the end of it. Now he has a gun. I'm like, fuck this. So that was a disappointment. But after I saw this fucking trailer, this is the darkest, the most realistic-looking Batman universe I feel like that is ever going to be envisioned on film. Matt Reeves is directing it. It stars... Robert Pattinson as Batman, which if Heath Ledger hadn't played the Joker back in 08, I'd be skeptical about. But I had my fucking skepticism fed back to me. I was like, who's this? Right. Knight's Tale, fucking Brokeback Mountain. He's going to play the Joker. Real cool. And then you see his face and you're like, oh, I'm an idiot. (laughs) Oh, that was dumb. So I'll, I'll tell you where I turned that corner with Pattinson in a second. Colin Farrell is playing Oswald Cobblepot. They're not even calling him the Penguin. That's how grounded in reality it is. Apparently, his character hates when people call him the Penguin and probably kills them. Um, what's that, her name? That makes sense. Zoe. Um, Zoe oh, shit. Zo- Zoe Kravitz. Zoe Kravitz. Zoe Kravitz is playing Selena Kyle, and Paul Dano is playing Edward Nashton. <sighs> And so good. The trailer, I'm not going to narrate the fucking trailer, but the music that is played throughout is this orchestral rendition of Something in the Way by Nirvana. And it is so dark and brooding. And there's all these hints. You see, like, Oswald Cobblepot standing in the rain. You know, you see uh, a cat or Selena Kyle, like, lowering herself down into some part place she's burglarizing. 
burglarizing, you know, someone staring up from a sewer grate. And all of the while, there's this booming voice that is Paul Dano. And he's throwing out this riddle that sounds just so macabre, you know. And and uh, what's his name from Westworld is playing Commissioner Gordon. And Batman's just lurking in the shadows. And, you know, it just builds to this crescendo. And then it cuts. And you see this group of dudes who they look like the mutants from the Dark Knight Returns in the comic. They, you know, they have yeah. the face paint. Yeah. They're like a fucked up weird street gang. And they're like, who the hell are you? And you turn and you see Batman. And he just takes this dude and beats the fuck out of him. I'm not talking like Michael Keaton punched him a couple of times. I'm Batman. I'm not even talking Christian Bale. I'm not wearing hockey pants. This, I mean, the beating that they, they show Batman give this guy, it, I mean, he had to have broken his sternum. Like, he put this guy in the hospital, could have killed him. I mean, Batman doesn't kill it intentionally, but there, this guy must have so much internal bleeding. I mean, he Yeah, fucked, he'll never be the same. He fucks this dude up, and when he falls down, he just keeps punching him in the face. And then he, the guy's like, who the hell are you? He beats the shit out of him, and then Pattinson just goes, I'm vengeance. Like, don't you know? Haven't you fucking? How, how fig- could you not? Haven't you fucking figured it out? And <laughs> and meanwhile, there's like the sound of duct tape being torn, and you see this dude in this mask, and you're thinking like, is this the Riddler character, Edward Nashton? He's sending riddles. Like it's not Edward Nigma. It's a more realistic version. Looks like some kind of a serial killer, like Mister Zaz, that leaves clues behind. Oh, yeah, dude. I watched the trailer three times. Uh, I I didn't even know it was out. I was doing it was in pre planning, so I was in my portable by myself, and I'm just going, dude, dude. So yeah, I mean, Whew. that moment in the trailer when you realize, like, oh, Robert Pattinson is Batman. Like, yeah. I can't fucking wait. 2021 is when it's supposed to come out. I can't fucking wait. You know, my favorite thing about, like, all the stuff that's come out about that movie so far are, like, funny little details. Like, the bat emblem on his chest is made of the gun that killed his parents. Yeah, that's badass. It's, yeah. like, it's, like the, it's so dark this time around. Like, it's so real. It's, like, what, <laughs> what does Pete Holmes say in the fucking, in the Batman things? But it's true. <laughs> he, like, when Superman wants to team up, he's like, why? I have no superpowers. I'm just rich. And nuts. That's it. Like, that's Batman. <laughs> Batman's rich, but he's also nuts and driven by vengeance. And he doesn't use his money for anything but to fight crime. So, God. Yeah. Like, that's the best thing. Like, so I was reading somewhere, like, Batman is a villain because he could save Gotham with his wealth, and he decides to beat up the poor. I mean, really, when you get down to it, he's amazingly flawed. Like, and that's why I like it's, it's like it's like that's why we gravitate towards Walter White and, and all that type of shit. You know, uh, if, who the fuck? I can't even think of people now, but we gravitate a lot of times towards the antihero. And Batman, I mean, he's not really the nicest guy. No. Well, like, it, it's funny when you get into all the mythology of it, but, like, apparently, like, there's a couple things, like I said, like, his, like, his, the emblem on his suit is supposed to be the gun that killed his parents. The, apparently, there's, like, uh, hints to the Court of Owls involved. Yeah, that's wild. Dude. Because the Court I'm of so Owls, stoked. the Court of Owls, when you get down to it, is kind of, they're like a secret society. Like, they could do so much crazy, weird shit with that. 
Like Batman, Batman shows up with like some eyes wide shut party, just starts beating the fuck out of everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hi, I'm Vengeance. Yeah. What if you wore a name tag? Yeah. Hi, my name is Vengeance. I just love the line, the way he delivered it. He's just like, I'm Vengeance. Like, I'm Vengeance. You're, you're, fucking... an, you're a fucking idiot. You're bleeding from every orifice in your body. I am Vengeance. Who else would I be? <laughs> so good, dude. I love it. Whew. All right, so <clears throat> my number one, I feel like, goes along with Batman um, in the sense that Batman does whatever the fuck he wants. Okay. So mine is a book. It's a book about what I learned more in this while reading this book is that it's still my favorite band, um, and it is the new autobiography called Do What You Want, The Story of Bad Religion. I didn't know that was out. I didn't know they had a book. So they just came out with this, and it is curated by the members of the band. Like, so it's all put together by Greg Graffin, Brett Gurewitz, Brian Baker, Jay Bentley. Like, they all organized it and put it all together for for release. Oh, cool. So what's great about this is you get firsthand accounts of how the band writes music. So I don't. What do you know about Bad Religion and how they write music? Um, I guess Greg Graffin hires a choir of angels and then they arrange around that. <laughs> so but he doesn't believe he's story. an atheist. So, so they're not, <laughs> they're not really right. angels. So here's the, that's the best thing about this is like, so Greg Graffin would write songs and bring them to practice and Brett Gurowitz would write songs and bring them to practice and they would just collaborate. But pretty much when they showed up to practice, they had the albums done. That's a good way to do it. So, yeah, it works. It makes sense. Like it's efficient. And so they so here's what's crazy about this though. So it tells a story from when they first started, when they wrote How Could Hell Be Any Worse, they were fifteen. Jesus. So you, when you think about like fuck Armageddon, this is hell, Greg Graffin was fifteen years old when that record was written. He was always a little professor. So Well, right, he always was. And so like I mean, but you even listen to it and you're like, This is a great fucking punk record for even like just even in the eighties, even like for a first record, it's still one of their best. But what's really funny about it is, um, they talk about how they all got into punk rock because the Ramones came through and how like the Ramones were like the Johnny Appleseeds of punk rock. <laughs> so they do all that. But what's really cool about it is it gets really, it's very honest. So like they get into these things where it's like Greg Graffin's like, I'm not that good with people sometimes. And so like, that's a hard thing for me. Like when they would talk about touring, like he wouldn't tour with the band. Like he would just show up in the next city the day after because he wanted to travel alone. And <laughs> you know, it, yeah, cause he was like, he's like, it's just easier for my voice. He's like, if you want me to sing, this is how I do it. Um, you know, and they talk about how they wrote all the records. And so when they, you know, when they got together, they did How Could Hell Be Any Worse. Then they then they did Back to the uh, or Into the Unknown. And they were like, we're going to do whatever we want. TSOL has synthesizers on their records. And then they broke up because of that record. <laughs> yeah. That record fucking they, sucks. It's awful. But they were like, nope, fuck this. We're all done. So everybody quit. And then they got back together. And when they got back together, they got back without Brett Gurowitz. So they ended up like bringing Greg Hetson in from the circle jerks. And so what's crazy is like the rotating cast of people that are in this band that you don't realize, but also when you think about how influential they are, they've been a band for 40 years, right? Bad religion has been a band for legitimately 40 years. They started in 1980. It's 2020. Yeah. They're when they wrote, literally started three years before I was born and I'm 37. So, right. Yeah, there you go. So they, so here's the crazy thing about this though. I just to put this in perspective. So they wrote, how can hell be any worse? They put it out in like, 1982 
They broke up, and then they they put out the back to the known record. They did all that, but when they got back together, they were the first few records they put back together year to year to year. These are this these were records that were not put out like far away from each other. This happened here's year one, year two, year three. They decided they were like, okay, we're gonna put out Suffer, then No Control, then Against the Grain, and then Generator. All of those records were put out a year apart. Yeah, those are, and I mean, that's a, those four are, are fucking unfuckwithable. Right. But then you get into, so they, so they, you know, they were kind of this band that like put all this stuff together. They started writing these records and they put out these really great records right, right in a row. Boom, 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 boom. And then they go, okay, so now Generator's out. That's 1992. And then they put out Recipe for Hate. After Generator in 1993. And then they put out Stranger Than Fiction in 1994. So they just fucking work. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, here's what's crazy about this, though. So in the course of all this, we're talking about people coming in, coming out, and all this. But you don't realize that Bad Religion is like members of, like features featuring members of The Circle Jerks, Minor Threat, Dag Nasty, The Vandals, Suicidal Tendencies, um, Avenged Sevenfold, which is weird. <laughs> Um, uh, like just like they have all this pedigree, like these people that come into the band that have all this really bizarre experience and like, just, they come from all these really strange places. Um, one thing that's really interesting though, cause you know, the records that like everybody talks about are like their worst records or like no substance in new America. Yeah. Like those are the ones in between. So Greg Graffin alone wrote three records by himself without Brett Gurowitz. Cause Brett quit because he had a heroin addiction. Oh, I never knew that. Yeah. Well, he was doing, he got, he got, he made millions of dollars on the offspring. Like he, like, so he, he starts Epitaph. He makes millions of dollars because he puts out fucking no effects. He puts out the offspring. He puts out Rancid, right? That'll do and it. Like he makes, that's like, he put out Let's Go. He put out Smash and made like millions of dollars. So he's like, oh yeah, heroin's cool. Back to that. <laughs> And ends up quitting the band. He quits the band for multiple reasons, but they talk about how he quits the band, he comes back, he quits the band, he comes back. But then Greg Graffin writes The Gray Race. So that's the first record he writes by himself. And then he writes No Substance, which nobody likes. And then he writes The New America, which nobody likes. But the funny thing about New America is it was produced by Todd Rundgren. <laughs> Dude, the guy that, and, like, uh, what's his name? The guy who shot John Lennon loved Todd Rundgren. Yeah, yeah. So the guy that helped write, I don't want to work. I want to bang on that drive all day. <laughs> that guy produced the New America because he's Greg Graffin's hero. Really? Yes. Greg Graffin Here's is the best a part. Todd Rundgren fan? Wow. He They show up in Hawaii with no equipment to a barn where they just plug into everything because Todd Rundgren was super into digital media at the time. So they recorded everything without amps. Oh, so they direct in everything? They directed in everything. And he pretty much like told them how to write the record. And the part of the reason why the record is so awful and so weird, like the song I Love My Computer that has a bunch of fucking weird blips and beeps all over it, is because of Todd Rundgren. Because he <laughs> overproduced the record. Not because it was written like that. So you learn these little things about these records and then, and then they're like, okay, fuck that. We're going to get back together. And Brett Gurowitz came back and they wrote process of belief and they've been killing it ever since. So, God, um, it's so weird, dude. Like 
I mean, like, it's weird enough that Rick Ocasek produced the Bad Brains, but, like, Todd Rundgren for Bad Religion? Well, Rick Ocasek produced, um, I want to say, either Recipe for Hate or Stranger Than Fiction with them, too. So he he produced stuff with them as well. He just knows what he's doing. I guess he knows his way around a fucking song. That's what they said. They said he was just super cool and he just knew what he was doing. So... Um, you know, what I would say is like, if you're interested in like nerdy music things and music history, it's a really cool dig into bad religion and kind of how they operate and how they've learned to work and you know, how they kind of got through their stuff. Cause all of them were alcoholics or drug addicts at some point in time, all of them went to rehab and came back and nobody really talks about that part of bad religion. Like they're just like, they've been around and Greg Graffin's a doctor and Bricker what's owns epitaph, but they don't realize like that there's like a whole crazy thing where they shouldn't have been a band because they should have broken up several times because of all the crazy stuff that's going on. So anyway, it's a good read. It's a fun read. It's an easy read. And it's always fun to read about how they wrote these records that were really important punk records. I think, you know, they talk about how suffer was not just like a good bad religion record. It would like changed punk rock at the time. Like bad religion helped bring punk rock to the forefront by getting signed to a major label during those punk explosions. Like they brought green day on their tours before green day blew up. They, you know, it's really, it's really cool to see that part of it and just kind of know that they've always been there. And they really, when they left Atlantic and they went back to epitaph, they're like, we want to do this our way. And they have been on an indie label technically since 2001 again. Yeah. I guess you never really think about, you know, without those dudes, we don't have epitaph and without epitaph, Jesus, what do we have? <laughs> Where would everything have come from? Right. Epitaph is a shell of what it used to be. Well, but like yeah, when yeah. it first started, like, you know, they were talking about selling records out of a storage unit. Like that's the only way they like they they built a recording studio in the back of a house like Rob did and produced these records, put out their records. They started the record label because they wanted to write their own. They wanted to produce their own stuff. Yeah. They were like, we're not going to we're going to do this ourselves. We're going to start Epitaph so we can put out our own records. It was great. That's, that's awesome. So anyway, that's my number one. Do what you want. The story of bad religion. It's definitely well worth the read if you're a fan. Don't tell me what to do. I, I'll do no. what I want. <laughs> I'll read it if I want to. I'll do what I want. <laughs> Ugh, forgot about that episode. All right. Well, those are good lists. Yeah, it was good. So uh, countdown. Countdown. Coming in at number five, Warhammer 2, Vermicide. The crime is your foul existence. The sentence is death. Number four, Out of Control by Kids Like Us. We ain't in no rush to get nowhere fast. We're KLU cutting loose, drinking coke, and kicking ass. (laughs) Number three, World's Most Wanted on Netflix. I don't know if I mentioned it before, but everyone on that documentary list is ugly as shit. Number two, Fear City, also on Netflix. If you ever wanted to see a documentary featuring a bunch of talking raviolis with their mouths stuffed full of cold cuts, this is the one. And number one, The Batman, trailer. Pattinson is vengeance, Farrell is bird, and Dano is... question mark? I love it. I love it. All right. My number five, adjusting to the world of crowdless events. Have your friends stab you out of a meeting. (laughs) Nas, King's Disease. We go in ultra black. 
Number three, Park Ave CDs, blow your phone bill on colored vinyl. Number two, Pumpkin Spice, non-strap your Ugg boots, untie your infinity scarf, and level up to white girl level 12. <laughs> and number one, do what you want book, but don't read it around me. Should we shout out the patrons? We should. All right. So, Mike Osborne, Sam Parnum, Laura Crosby, thank you for your additional contribution. Laura, Ooh. she upped her. She upped her Patreon. Oh shit. Kate, Kate Neal, Amelia Andrews, Matthew Fisher, Jessica Crane, and Mario Cipriano, thank you so much. Thanks, for guys. Out with us. It's very generous of you. Truly, truly very generous. It, it keeps the lights on. Where? <laughs> oh, somewhere. There's a storage unit somewhere oh. that's covered. Oh. When we do so, finally get a studio, it will keep the light on in the studio. Yeah, at least one light. It can't, we can't afford all the lights, but at least one light's covered. It'll be a a laser pointer. Yeah, it's. I mean, and we have to replace the batteries every other week. So, <laughs> so we don't have any announcements, I don't think. Uh, we've got some cool books coming out, which are cool. We're working on that and should have them out in the next couple months. Um... If you want to, I mean, do you have anything you want to add? Anything that you can think of? I'm good. I'm exhausted. Right, so, me too. It's been a fucking month. It's been a year. So, if you want to find us on Facebook, you can find us on Facebook at I Don't Want to Hear a Podcast. On Instagram at I Don't Want to Hear a Podcast. On Twitter at IDWHI Podcast. On, you can email us at oldpunksvsTheWorld at gmail.com. Or you can check out our website for our publishing company at WNDPress.com. Or email us at wndpress at gmail.com. Yep, and if you head over to our website, I don't want to hear a podcast.com, you can click the link it came from the beach to listen to all of our old music, look at all of our old band pictures, and watch our videos. Also, some of our bands are now on Spotify, so please check the episode notes for links for stuff we talked about on the episode and links to the records of years from now, We're Not Dead, Absent Friends, and more, I'm assuming, at some point? At some point, yeah. There, we're going to have uh, Rewritten and Grudge Holder up. Awesome. So, yeah, guys, we're gonna. I'll, I'll put those links down there for every episode. Check us out on Spotify if you want. Um, we would appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's going to do it for us this week. And we will be back next week with another episode. So until then, another late this week. And good night, Taco Bell Joe, wherever you are. Wonder, I just, could you imagine showing the Crossbuster logo to Taco Bell Joe? <laughs> oh, buddy. <laughs> just so negative. <laughs> the colors are nice, though. They really pop. <laughs> pop really pop I I mean I feel like you would still find something nice to say about it he probably wouldn't like the new dark Batman I bet he likes old Adam West Batman oh this I can get into buddy yeah where's the big bomb (laughs) are you telling me this guy doesn't have shark repellent (laughs) look at that everybody's having a good time pow bang kazoom ah that's okay does, it, does this guy, does this new guy, whoever he is, does he do the Batusi? <laughs> I don't know why I know so much about Adam West Batman. No, Joe, he does not do the Watusi. He just simply liquidates uh, criminals' faces. <laughs> oh, no, he danced his knuckles through his teeth. <laughs> All right. All right, folks. Bye. Bye. Get out of here.
Yeah.